Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, folks, to New Caribbean Podcast. I am your host, Fiona Compton, the founder of New Caribbean. I want to give a special shout out to our Patreon posse. Subscribers of our Patreon platform get extra podcast episodes, extra content, giveaways, and a whole bunch of things. And you can join our Patreon posse via patreon.com slash New Caribbean. Sign up and join the crew. Anyways, folks, we are jumping into this New Caribbean episode, and it is about resistance and revenge in the Caribbean. I need to add a disclaimer for this episode because this episode does include violence, and it may be a tough listen for some, but the complicated story of resistance and revenge is never an easy one. So for our first story, we are going to jump across to the island of Nevis. Many don't know about Nevis, which I think is an atrocity. We should all know about Nevis. Nevis is part of the Federation of St. Kitts and Nevis. Its current population is just over 11,000. So in accordance to Wikipedia, now I know a lot of people don't respect Wikipedia, that's cool, but I did make sure to go through and double check on the stats and information that was part of this History of Nevis Wikipedia excerpt. So it goes on to say this. So, in the 1600s, Nevis became the seat of the Leeward Islands colony and was given the nickname Queen of the Caribbees. It remained a colonial capital for the Leeward Islands until the seat was transferred to Antigua for military reasons in 1698. During this period, Nevis was the richest of the British Leeward Islands. Okay, now I need to say that the size of Nevis is 36 square miles. If you look like islands of St. Lucia, where I'm from, St. Lucia is 238 square miles. So Nevis of its size of 36 square miles was the richest island of the British Leeward Islands. It goes on to say, Nevis outranked larger islands like Jamaica in the late 17th century. The planter's wealth on the island is evident in the tax records preserved in the calendar state papers in the British colonial public records, where the amount of tax collected in the Leeward Islands was recorded. The sums recorded for 1676 as head tax on slaves, a tax payable in sugar, so you know what I'm saying when people say sugar is gold, right? Amounted to 384,600 pounds in Nevis, as opposed to 67,000 each in Antigua and St. Kitts. 62,500 in Montserrat and 5,500 total in five other islands 
So, yo, like, Nevis was ahead, ahead, ahead of the game. We're talking about, like, five, six, seven times, eight times the amount. If you're talking about 384,000 pounds in Nevis in comparison to 5,000 in some islands or 62,000 in Montserrat or 67,000 in Antigua. And all of these islands are bigger, well, except maybe for Montserrat. So it goes on to say the profits on sugar cultivation in Nevis was enhanced by the fact that the cane juice from Nevis yielded an unusually high amount of sugar. That's what they said. They said sugar from Nevis was the sweetest of all. A gallon of cane juice from Nevis yielded 24 ounces of sugar, whereas a gallon from St. Kitts yielded about 16 ounces of sugar. So that is a good like 25% more um sugar content in from Nevision cane juice so it goes on to say 20 percent 20 percent of the british empire's total sugar production in 1700 was derived from Nevision plantations exports from the west indian colonies like nevis were worth more than all the exports from the mainland 13 colonies of north america combined at the time of the american revolution so you mean to tell me this island and i don't like to call our island small right it's always kind of said in such a diminishing way and i find that even if say maybe we are geographically small we are yo we mighty we are mighty you telling me that all of what nevis was producing 36 square miles of what nevis was producing was worth more than all the 13 colonies of North America combined. Fun fact, I'm petty. I want to check to see how much, uh, how many square miles were the 13 colonies of America. And it is 1.1 million square kilometers or 430,000 square miles. Yeah, 430,000 square miles in comparison to 36 square miles. Okay, I'm done being petty, I'm done. <laughs> so I'm just saying, just goes to show how powerful we are. And another um, side fact about Nevis is in 1706, long story short, the British and the French were fighting. They're doing their thing back and forth, fighting St. Kitts and Nevis and Antigua, and they're doing their thing back and forth, back and forth. And within that, the French had taken about 3,400 people from Nevis and saved Africans from Nevis and used them to fight against the British where they were seen as like these great fierce fighters and all of that. And within that battle, they took 16 ships and brought them across to Louisiana in 1706. And therefore the first persons of African descent to come to Louisiana soil come from Nevis. So there you go. There's a little brief history of Nevis in terms of, you know, little but we talawa and all of that. So I came across this, um, this uh, writing, which was written by this reverend. His name is Reverend Smith. I think it's John Smith. And was written in uh, the early 1700s from Nevis. And he was, um, he was a priest who was there doing his thing. And um, he wrote some letters, which was then published. So I'm going to read it because I had come across a very small excerpt that speaks about this enslaved woman and the reverend's frustration about her. And then I had to go look for his book to try and find the details because what I was looking for is her name. 
and unfortunately he did not write a name which is one of the main frustrations i have about a lot of the writings is that they don't name some of these enslaved people who did these gangster things they may just be call them an, a negro or negress or a slave but not name them and that's one of the things i hate um most about these writings is the erasure of you know people's lives or their individuality but you know their stories still live regardless so this writing by this reverend is going to give us a bit of a backstory about what things were like in nevis um, and surrounding islands at the time so as part of reverend smith's letters he writes this our negroes except what are born in nevis are brought to us from guinea those from the Gold Coast being the most valuable and hardy. So Gold Coast is mainly Ghana on account of the vast heats and of course scarcity of provisions there. And those of Congo and Angola are less set by because of the plenty provision on their own. More temperate and cool countries renders them lazy and consequently not able to endure work and fatigue. When they first arrive, they are well rubbed over with oil in order to make them look sleek and handsome and as they can with a small comb curl another's hair into imitable knots like roses and it gives a much farther addition to their beauty in short it exceeds the skill of the best english barber now i find that beautiful in terms of curling hair into roses I think I would love to see that. Is that kind of like the pepper seed or the chiny bump like we call it? I don't know if that's what he meant. So he goes on to say, a boy or girl about 15 years old may be worth 20 pounds sterling, a woman 27 and a man 30. They live in huts on the western side of our dwelling houses so that every plantation resembles a small town. Now and then these poor creatures are by private traders stole away out of their own countries to the eternal scandal of us Christians. It's very interesting in terms of how he very matter-of-factly speaks about and say people come in and they're very well oiled down and all of that. And then speaks about who are the hardest workers, who are lazy, defining enslaved people as lazy but then referring to enslavement as the eternal scandal of us Christians. But the usual method of them coming is to purchase them when taken in their wars with each other. If some great persons concerned in the trade in Africa are not strangely belied, they frequently set these black princes together by the heirs, purely that they may buy the prisoners for slaves. In my time, a captain, a private trader, went to the coast of Guinea and after having decoyed two sons of one of these petty kings, their attendants on board his ship sailed away for the West Indies and sold them there. The gentleman who bought the boys fitted out a Bermuda sloop with proper cargo and sent the two boys back as a present to their father. The captain was a villain in grain as well as an utter enemy to his country. For if the black prince, who was the father of the two boys, should have massacred all Englishmen that fell in his way for some time afterwards, pray, who would justly blame him? Well, that's interesting that he's saying that if the prince of the sons who were stolen away decided to wreak havoc and ice a whole bunch of Englishmen, who would blame him? It's just interesting to see how 
they normalize the whole institutional slavery but then have these moments of empathy it's a very strange dynamic for me sometimes so he goes on to say another abandoned wretch of a captain did about three or four years before my going to nevis steal some negroes off of the coast of guinea and sold a stout man and his wife with a small sucking child to a gentleman of my acquaintance at nevis who used them well the poor unfortunate fellow assured the gentleman that the captain stole him and that he was a considerable person upon the coast of Wida. Now, once again, these people are spelting however the hell they wanted it, especially when it comes to African names. So what he said here was W-H-I-D-D-A-W, Wida. I believe he meant Wida, which is a city in southern Benin, which is very much inextricably intertwined in the slave trade so and of course a lot of our ancestors who came to the caribbean came from this area of africa so i believe that's what he's talking about so this man came from benin so it says upon the coast of Ouida, he's gone to work at nevis so basically he's saying that the man was doing his thing he was living a good life um in benin before he was stolen and taken to nevis However, in order to bring him to relish a state of slavery by gentle and easy degrees, he set him to look after his horses, mules, and sheep. But he had not been long at that station before he quarreled with another of his master's negroes and killed him with a knife, upon which he fled away with his wife and child into the thick woods where he immediately erected a hut, resolving to die rather than submit. So, there we go again. There are these acts of resistance. Whatever argument that he had with the other enslaved man, we have to also remember the complexities of life on the plantations. And this whole concept that all black people were just jamming and we were together and everyone was airy is an unfair reduction of just how dynamic you know, our ancestral lineage is in terms of when we're looking at all the different African tribes and that they spoke different languages and they had different traditions then we have to look at the enslaved people who were born into slavery and in comparison to those who were born into freedom you know then enslaved and taken across to the caribbean someone who's born into slavery only knows that way of life so this is why you find a lot of the rebellions that happened in the caribbean were done by or orchestrated by enslaved people who were born into freedom in africa and taken to to the caribbean and like yeah i'm not about this life and that actually those who were born into enslavement tended to be more passive or more accepting of their life in in servitude so we don't know why this man had this altercation with another of the enslaved it, it could have been a tribal difference it could have been one was born in the caribbean and he clearly is not and they had those differences it could have been any manner of things but so he's gone he's left the place gone to hide up in the mountains and thing or in the bush and thing and he set up a hut with his wife and child all right so it goes on to say however he was soon found out and his hut surrounded with armed white men and negroes were all resolved to apprehend and make a public example of him he first butchered his wife and child that's hard yo 
and then he came out of the hut with a bloody reeking knife in his hand offering it to his master and saying that he has fairly bought and paid for him and he had a just right to take away his life so it sounds like this man has given up in terms of not just in theory to go back into service you but like he's just given up on life altogether it sounds like a man who's completely defeated spiritually emotionally everything so it goes on the master told him that he must surrender himself and be tried by civil magistrate whereupon he struck at him with a knife but was knocked down and secured the next day he was tried by two justices of the peace who have a discretionary power to inflict what death they may please upon such negroes the justices adjudged him to be broke upon the wheel um, in previous episodes I have spoken about the punishment of being broken at the wheel I will not go into the full details of it but it is one of the most horrific um, and painful punishments where every bone in the body is broken and it is supposed to be long and excruciating and a person could be left there for several days in this position um, before they are fully executed and it is done with intent to make the suffering as long and as painful as possible so he has been sentenced to be broken upon the wheel and then burnt alive which sentence was strictly put in execution when his arms thighs and leg bones were broken all to shivers with an iron crow he did not so much as cry out once oh he then desired a dram of rum, which he was refused by his master. Um, so one thing I, I need to, to highlight here is that in terms of where you're saying that every bone in his body is being broken and that he did not so much cry out once. This is something that through my research, I've been finding this a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, be it in Suriname, here in Nevis, in Montserrat, in Jamaica, in Barbados, um, in Dominica, so many executions of enslaved people, and as if there is, there is this defiance, like, okay, you are going to kill me, and you're going to do so in the worst possible way, but I'm not going to gratify you by letting you see or hear my pain. And I've found this kind of communal act of defiance, where throughout the centuries from the 1700s, 1800s, in different countries, and clearly some of these people are from different tribes, but there is this collective emotion of defiance um, to the very end that they're not going to show weakness. And I think it's something that you don't hear or see when we're speaking about our enslaved ancestors. So it's saying here that he's asking for a little bit of rum, right? Which was refused. And says, who rightly imagined that he only wanted it so that he could die drunk. However, a draft of water was offered to him, which he refused to accept. They then flung him onto a large and fierce fire where he expired without little or no concern. And once again, it is him again resisting. He is being burned to death and there is he's showing little or no concern so it's more uh, once again these acts of defiance and even once again there i've 
read about different executions that have happened and they're being put into life and some are singing some are making jokes but they will refuse to cry out and i just it always stays with me like i could never imagine even coming close to experiencing something like that and refusing to express my feelings in that way of all the pain and just not giving them that last piece of satisfaction to me is the ultimate act of defiance so reverend smith continues to say some negroes believe that when they die they return back to their own native country for which reason they often hang themselves when first coming to us of which sort perhaps was a negro who immediately killed his wife and child and afterwards suffered such a cruel death undauntedly so as you can see here once again it is clearly something that was a belief an ancestral belief right that when you die you head back home and this is something that i've seen in many different places in terms of um different countries be it suriname jamaica wherever barbados that they believe that when they die they go home in cuba as well i have come across things like that in terms of when it comes to enslaved and suicide and that you know in terms of dressing wearing your best shirt or you know packing a cigar or you know your best knife so you're bringing what little you can because you're carrying yourself back home by you know um doing this so here is something where we get a little piece of spirituality and i want you all to know if you recognize a word i think this is a bunch of foolishness he has written but he's dropped a gem and like i said this is from like the 1700s but he says here nay the most intelligent of them have no manner of religious worship well we know that's bullshit as far as i could ever discover though i am told that jamaica the negroes have what they call a herring in some guinea tongue one of the most knowing of them teaches all of the rest a long speech this assembly may consist of four or five hundred blacks all they owned was that god is a very good man who lives above the sky that all good men when they die ascend up to live with him but that even then the good blacks will be in some measure slaves to us whites bullshit as for men both whites and blacks they then go down below to earth to live along with chumbi aka the devil whom they insist upon will be of neither white or black but of a red mulatto color with horns a tail or cloven hoofs it's a mixture of bullshit but the number one thing i got there was jumbi the word jumbi which means ghost or spirit then this is a word that we use across the caribbean jumbi and i'm like they're talking about this in like 1700s nevis the word jumbi and i know that the word jumbi does come from you know does come from africa but i just i'm like yo it's jumbi this is so cool aside from the bullshit that he was talking so i want to bring into the story of this woman who i thought was so thug i absolutely love her and you know in part of his writings he's saying about the problem in christianizing and baptizing and teaching african people about Christ the christian faith 
is that they tend to have a certain level of arrogance because therefore they've elevated themselves to be on par with white people and he was speaking about this young boy who started to become very conceited because he started to understand the ethics of christianity and was kind of moving mad kind of thing like he didn't want to be like doing the work and felt that yo if you do a bad thing then i have a right to punish you so in the reverend's eyes it's kind of dangerous to teach and save people about christianity now this is the early days huh? so clearly they started to find ways to use christianity as a means to manipulate but at that time these are the early years of of slavery in the caribbean so they're still just trying to you know work their way around things but this is what he says here for instance a parishioner of mine baptized a black woman and had her well instructed in our religion here in england but she had not been long arrived at nevis where she poisoned four white persons and was executed for so doing now that's all i have on this woman so here we have an enslaved woman who comes across from africa she has to she's taught english then she's taught to become a christian and she's learning the way she's learning the culture and the religion because of course especially during those times like religion was part of the culture right it's an extension of it so she's learning all these things so she's learning religion culture and language and even then she's still poisoning him. <laughs> she's still poisoning him. and you know she was executed for so doing and I wish I knew her name. I wish I knew her name. How defiant is that woman? How long did she bide her time? How long was she plotting and planning? Did she really believe in the Bible? Did she really believe in the things that they were teaching her? Or was it just a ploy to, to allow herself proximity to be able to poison these people? I think her story is incredible. If I could find her name, I would love it so much so that I could find a way to immortalize it so that is our first two stories of resistance and revenge in the caribbean we'll be right back for part two of our stories and for today i'm going to be playing a piece of big drum music from nevis traditional music used especially for the masquerade in nevis enjoy this segment of big drum Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, folks, welcome back. I hope you all have recovered from them first two stories. Sit down, get yourself a drink, because I have some more for you all, and it is a roller coaster. So, the next place we are heading to now is the island of Antigua. So, a few stats about Antigua. Has a current population of about 101,000, is 108 square miles. And one of the most iconic landmarks in Antigua is a place called Boggy Peak, which was renamed to Mount Obama in, I think, 2008, and then was renamed back to Boggy Peak. But what I found out about the history of Boggy Peak, Antiguans, tell me if I'm wrong or not. But it has to do with the boogeyman and how slave masters created this narrative that there is some boogeyman living up there in the mountain to deter and save people from running away and absconding and creating their own maroon communities in the mountains because they know why people are going up all up in their mountains there, right? So they created this scary story of this thing living up in the mountains and it's called, so from the boogeyman, Boggy Peak. Tell me if I'm wrong let me know in the comments or message me so one of the things is that antigua was um placed to many 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 acts of resistance some um, some large ones i have spoken about um one of the rebellions that happened i believe in the first episode that we let out which is the gangster stories from ghana and an enslaved man from Ghana called Akwamu who did this incredible war dance in Antigua. His plan was to quote-unquote destroy all the whites on the island. Our next batch of stories is coming from the book Antigua and the Antiguans, written by this lady called Mrs. Lanigan. And it's written in the 1800s. And she does come to tell some stories of revenge in Antigua. So the first story goes as this. The next crime I have to mention in this continuation of dark tints is murder. This dreadful act, however, I'm happy to say is not very common now. In these days, they seldom embrew their hands in human blood. But in former years, years of moral darkness, the Negroes used frequently to suffer death for obvious practices of poisoning or in some way taking the lives of their fellow creatures particularly those who had authority over them and who in the exercise of that authority made use of harsh measures. Perhaps 
it may not be uninteresting to some of my readers to narrate a few instances of the most remarkable murders which have been committed in Antigua. For, strange as it may appear, almost everyone likes to hear of the deeds of blood. In 1701, a dreadful murder occurred, the details of which are as follows. The Speaker of the House of Assembly, the Honorable Samuel Martin, the owner of that beautiful and romantic property, the Green Castle, had for some reason or the other refused his slaves their usual Christmas holiday and compelled them to work throughout the day. This infraction upon which they considered their rights so exasperated his Negroes that on the 25th of December, 1701, they with one accord rose up upon their master, determined to take sure revenge. Accordingly, at the dead hour of night, they broke open the doors of his mansion, rushing to the chamber of Major Martin, fell upon him and actually hacked him to death with holes they had been using in the cultivation of his sugar canes. The irony of it all. Shocked at the dreadful fate of her husband and fearing the same terrible death from the infuriated slaves, should they discover her, Mrs. Martin fled from the scene of horror with her frightened children, sought safety with the neighboring precincts of a neighboring cane field. Here she remained through the remainder of that awful night until when morning came and the bright sun rose and chased away the clouds of darkness, she summoned courage to leave her place of concealment and throw herself and children upon the protection of her friends. The body of the unfortunate Major Martin, after an inquest had been held upon it, was interred at the Church of St. John's, and the chief actors of the tragical affair were afterwards brought to condign punishment. Mrs. Martin lived for many years after this sad event and married her second husband, Governor Bayam. So that is the full story of Major Martin, who is killed by the very same hose that I use to do the sugarcane planting to enrich him. So the very thing that enriched him is the very thing that killed him. It's poetry right there. So the next story is, about 70 years ago, a gentleman of the same Giles Blizzard owned an estate in the part of Antigua called Pope's Head, in which estate at present day is added to another, and the whole is in possession of the Honorable Bertie E. Jarvis. Giles Blizzard was a true planter of the olden time. He resided in an old roomy mansion upon his estate where wealth and meanness was strongly contrasted, where the silver flagons, what's a flagon? I don't know, <laughs> and costly salvers glittered amid the coarse earthenware of England, like a proud and high-born beauty who by some strange chance has been mixed with the common herd, where the polished surface of the mahogany furniture mocked the unwashed walls and darkened roof of the apartments, whose protruding beams afforded safe protection to the innumerable hordes of insects. Surrounded by his numerous slaves, the old gentleman exercised the power of a prince and gave no idea of the Saxon thane. Everything in his dwelling was conducted upon a scale of heavy munificence. I did not know what I would meant, so I googled it. It means the quality or action of being lavishly generous or great generosity. Well, I learned something today. 
His table groaned beneath the weight of its various viands, and there was no order, no delicacy observed in the arrangement of them. Like the generality of Antiguan planters, he was hospitable in the extreme. His doors were ever open, and every visitor was sure of a hearty welcome. A stranger would have been surprised at having wines of the choicest vintage handed to him by a barefoot butler, or his every movement attended to by a host of half-naked Jesus Christ, or his every movement attended to by a host of half-naked Negroes. Ay, ay, ay. Sometimes it's like you're reading all of this, and then you just get, mmm, you just get some digging at you. You know what I'm saying? But such was the domestic arrangement of the old Antiguan mansions. Giles Blizzard was supposed to be exceedingly rich and to keep by him a noble portion of hard cash, which in those golden days was generally in the form of doubloons and joes. So it says that a joe is a gold coin and a doubloon, not doubloon, doubloon um, is a gold coin as well. He is fond of boasting of his ample share of his world's wealth, and this exciting of the rapacity of his two slaves prompted them to murder him, that they might become possessed of his store. I mean, I could kind of imagine him, I could just like, the way she's described him, I can just definitely see the type of man that he was, right? A convenient opportunity for perpetuating this foul deed had long been waited for and was at length obtained. At the close of a gloomy day in the last month of the year, the old gentleman seated himself upon a sofa and prepared to take his evening nap, attended only by a black boy of the name of Diamond. Now these little things like, so there's this young black boy who's enslaved and they call him Diamond. There's like, there's, there's so much irony in terms of how there is a complete detachment to the humanity of it all. It's like it's it's like a com- it like to me it is so much delusion. Like for example, there were slave ships that were called Happy Journey, or Friendship, or you know things like Love. All these plantations that had such beautiful names like Pleasance and Hope. You know, and it's just mad. And then you're calling and say people names like Diamond. I even also found the name of an estate person who was called Happy or Happy Heart, you know, or called Flower. So they're creating all of these names where it's just completely delusional romanticism of this whole thing. But yes, this young boy, his name is Diamond. The evening was tempestuous, and between the pauses of the storm, the inmates of the apartment listened once or twice as they thought they heard approaching footsteps. But the wind shook all the ill-secured shutters with such violence as to drown out all other sounds. Child's blizzard was at a period of life when many the pleasures and luxuries of this world seem sweeter from the certainty that they are drawing near their clothes. Thoughts similar to these might float through the brain of the old gentleman, for Giles Blizzard was a lover of conviviality, and many a festive scene as those old walls witnessed. But the hands of the antique clock, painted in various devices, pointed to the hour of midnight, and once bef- and once more adjusting his head, the planter sank to sleep.
the two slaves intended murderers who through a crack in the shutter had been watching the movement of their master and his youthful attendant perceiving by his unaltered position and deep breathing that he slept and having full proof of the others being in that oblivious state from the sound of his nasal organs quickly took off the shutter and entered the apartment armed with a blunderbuss i didn't know what a blunderbuss was but it's a gun placing their hands upon the shoulders of the old gentleman and holding the weapon to his ear they demanded where he kept his cash in vain their victim prayed for mercy in vain solicited the boon of one short hour to collect his scattered thoughts the murderers were not to be turned from their fell purpose the finger was pressed upon the fatal trigger and the deed was done the soul of giles blizzard winged its way to the vast shores of eternity and the sofa where he laid him down in full confidence of safety was covered with brains and blood and silver hairs. Shocking as it is to humanity to relate, one of the criminals was the natural son of the old man, who, although he was not the actual murderer, was the instigator of the dreadful act. For when, at his master's earnest prayer for mercy, the black man seemed to relent, Jeffrey, the name of Mr. Blizzard's colored son, told him to do it at once and make sure of it or else he would himself. Let's pause for a second here. So Mr. Blizzard had a son who he enslaved. Now this is the case for many, many, many children of slave owners. It was the case. I've, I've read things that have been very difficult to read to see that their own children who looked exactly like him were serving their brothers and sisters and everyone is just acting like nothing. You know, this kind of direct correlation to just think it's okay to, you know, rape an enslaved woman, impregnate her, and then use your your own blood to further enrich and serve you as a slave and you can expect there to be zero resentment it makes full sense for jeffrey to be like yo if you don't want to do it i will do it myself like he had had enough to see like his own father and as you're saying it says in the book he was so boastful. He was always talking about how much money he had. And his doors was always open and he's come and giving people like any Tom, Dick and Harry the best wines and all of that. So how could this resentment not build up in his own child? Maybe he saw some of himself in him and said like, yo, how you can be, do how you can be doing that? You know, or seeing that what life his, his mother may have lived. Who knows if his, if his mother was still alive. And of course his mother would have been living life in enslavement. Like, what was life like for her? So this in itself has so much. And of course, this writer is writing it like it's so atrocious. What he's done, like his own son. And I'm like, but no, it makes full sense that it that it is his son that has done this. It makes full sense to me. So it goes on to say, 
After the perpetration of this atrocious crime, the murderers placed a blunderbuss upon a table close to the side of their victim with a glass of brandy and water near it, supposing that when discovered, it would be surmised that it was an act of self-destruction. But murder is an offense that's rank, it smells to heaven, quote unquote. And in most cases, the slayer is discovered. The boy who really slept upon the entrance of the men was awakened by the noise, but perceiving the blunderbuss and hearing the conversation which ensued between his master and his murderers, he became alarmed and to ensure his own safety, counterfeited sleep. Upon morrow's dawn, he hastened to relate the circumstance and by these means the offenders were brought to justice. They were carried before a magistrate and condemned to suffer death by decapitation on the following day, which was Christmas Day. But Mr. Rose, the then marshal, got it postponed until the day after, thinking that a greater number of spectators would be present, to whom would act as a warning. So it wasn't even like, yo... We're not going to do this on Christmas Day because it's not the right thing to do. We need to do this the day after so we can get as many people to come as and witness these executions as possible so they, they the message sinks in. And of course, a lot of the executions, I wouldn't say people, was a public thing. And that was intentionally so. So this story in itself just has so much so much so therefore they refused to do it on christmas day because they wanted more people to come so it says the culprits were taken down to a spot where such scenes were generally performed and which still goes by the name of gallows bay and there after being blindfolded they were bound to an upright post of gallows and their right hands first struck off and then their heads their heads after being dipped in pitch were stuck upon spikes and the hands nailed under them while their bodies were carried down to the water's edge and they were burned in a lime kiln. This, I think, was the last decapitation that was practiced in Antigua, although in former years that mode of execution was very frequent, but I must say I'm happy that now no whitened skull or distorted features are likely to meet my sight on an evening walk. Well, I'm sorry, honey, that you don't have to deal with that. Um. That story was a lot. That story was absolutely, absolutely a lot. And I think I'm going to bring a close to the episode um, for this one. I did have two more stories from Antigua, but I think I'm going to save it for um, another episode. I think this episode was quite heavy and had quite a lot. And as much as all of us like to watch murder documentaries and all these kind of things like that, I think there is a lot I think it hits different because it's our ancestors and it's a lot of mixed emotions for me in terms of holding on to these acts of defiance and like yeah like yo we actually did kill massa and we actually did these things and we were really defiant but in terms of how they were punished and kind of dealing with that emotion of that in the end the europeans still won but then also looking at it like did they win though? Because they are absolutely shook. And this is why they had to latch on to being extremely violent, creating all of these laws, creating all of these violent and very public executions to keep trying to enforce this message of 
don't resist, don't resist, don't resist, and then indoctrinating things like Christianity and so on. But then it goes to show the need for them to be so violent goes to show how scared they were because we did resist. We did. And I think that's the thing that I want to hold on to. That's the part that I want to hold on to. This belief that we were that we come from a legacy of people who are passive, people who did nothing to resist enslavement, people who were not empowered, people who did not defy. That's a lie. And this is the part that I want us to hold on to, that we did. We did resist and we did take our revenge. So on that note, thank you guys so much for listening and I will catch you in the next episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 